Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hello, and welcome to another Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives in aviation lives, uh, lifestyles, and business. Uh, we're certainly excited today. Uh, Chris Kirk, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Uh, my name's Todd Mitten, and uh, we have a special guest today, Colonel Ed Black. Uh, Ed is the wing commander of the 139th Airlift Wing at St. Joseph and also a United Airlines pilot. Uh, but uh, he's here just to talk not so much about even his career in the Guard, but his aviation interests and and his uh, uh, what he does to keep busy. I think Ed's an interesting guy, and we're going to have fun uh, talking about it. So, Ed, how are you today? Uh, good. Half as interesting as Todd Mitten, but that's, that's not <laughs> doing too bad. That's a high bar, man. It's not doing too bad, if I can maintain that. Please, please. I, I could do this by myself, but right. we've got to have guests. We've got to have guests. Well, thanks for the invites. It's a pleasure. No, we're, we're glad. How did you get in the, into the garden, into flying? How'd you get started? Oh, wow. Uh, well, uh, back when uh, high schools had a little bit of flexibility with their curriculum, I had a World War II pilot. Uh, his name was Kenneth Ludke, and he taught uh, private pilot ground school as a class in uh, my little high school up in DeKalb, Missouri. So I had private pilot ground school done as a senior, as a senior in high school, and he took us on a, a ride, uh, I think it was in a Cherokee 6 up at St. Joseph. Oh, really? Yeah. Rosecrans, and we got, I got my first taste of being in an airplane, and that was that, as they said. You know, I, I just kind of continued on that career and just kind of always knew that's what I wanted to do based off of that initial uh, contact. Uh, and you were enlisted at first in the Guard, right? You, I did. You know, I watched uh, C-130s fly over my house. Uh, I tell the story that I was working in a bean field. Uh, hoeing weeds out of a bean field when a C-130 flew overhead and I said boy that looks a lot better than what I'm doing now <laughs> so uh, decided I better f- uh, find out more about those C-130s and uh, that combined with uh, you know my t- uh, Mr. Ludke's uh, influence on uh, on aviation. Drove Where, me where'd you learn out. to fly? I actually started at uh, Millie Earhart uh, over in Atchison had a uh, little Cessna 150 and, and, and a CFI over there that I uh, got up to solo with, and then I finished out uh, my private at Express Flight okay, in, uh, in St. Joseph in a, a little yellow tomahawk. Yeah, yes. Remember that little well, yellow of course, uh, tomahawk I is what I, we called it, but it was I, a tomahawk up there. I will fill in a little background here that I worked uh, with Ed for close to 30 years, uh, probably 26, 28 yeah. years in the Air National Guard, so we've been yeah. long time... Uh, Friends may be a strong word. No, we're uh, we, <laughs> we we are uh, so. Uh, that's probably how I can convince Chris. Uh, how I can convince people to come talk to us because well, you know twenty six years of Utah. That's a lot for anybody. I'm telling you. Right, I hope all right, the stories right. don't come out, but some of them may. We. Uh, uh, yeah. That's what I came for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you obviously went on eventually. Uh, to officer training, pilot training. Uh, yep. Where did you go to pilot training, and were there any instructor pilots at that base that were really a problem? There was a few in the Stand of Al area. <laughs> yeah, is tough. that right? Real hammers. What, what base was that? So I went to Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma in 94. Uh, had the privilege of uh, flying the T-37 and then also the T-38 aircraft, one of the last uh one of the last guys at St. Joseph uh, that got to fly the T-38 before they did a, 
a split off and sent all of us heavy C-130 guys through a different track. So got to break the speed of sound in a T-38, still got that uh, T-shirt, and uh, that was a, an awesome privilege to uh, be able to fly that plane and be in, be in that era. So it's pretty cool. Now, Chris, did you have, you don't no, remember, Ed? No, I mean, it's just it. Ed and I were just talking before. So that's a good thing. If the check pilot doesn't know you, you're yeah, good. I, I don't know. Usually I'm afraid somebody say, oh, yeah, you hooked me. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't, I don't know. The, uh, we were just talking offline here a little bit ago and realized that we were there at the same time, which is kind of interesting. It is cool. No. It is. It is. That's a, it's, it's interesting how our all paths keep leading back to Enid in our lives. But that's, uh, yeah. uh, so eventually... I, you were full-time at St. Joseph, and, and then uh, you got hired by Continental Airlines. Uh, tell us about that a little bit and what, what happened as your career progressed. Right. Well, uh, so in uh, 2008, uh, I'd been on three rotations to Afghanistan and Iraq uh, with the 139th Airlift Wing, as many of us have, and uh, didn't see an end in sight there. And, in fact, that was that was true. There hasn't been an end in sight no, since our, <laughs> we've still got some folks, as you know, Todd deployed over there from the unit. So, yes. Uh, but in that time I was looking at, uh, you know, looking down the barrel of, uh, of deployments and thought, boy, I need to find something that maybe give me some stability, uh, outside the, uh, the, uh, air guard. And I mistakenly thought that the airline industry would give me that stability. <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, did get a job with Continental Airlines uh, with some help of some friends at the Guard, uh, longtime friends at the Guard. And I uh, went down to uh, Continental Training in Houston, Houston, Texas. And uh, the first, first day I showed up, they were handing profit sharing checks out to all the guys in the oh, training wow. center. And boy, Continental was on fire. And, it was a great, uh, great decision, and then a couple weeks later, they passed the age 65 rule, which took the uh, the age of uh, airline pilots out to age 65, and uh, I was furloughed within six months. Mm. So, decided, boy, this guard thing doesn't sound too bad. So I, I got back in uh, to the military life, and ended up moving out to Washington D.C. and spent uh, an amazing four years out in Washington, uh, doing different things out in Washington. Uh, related to my military career. but uh, So that's how I got in the airline industry was uh, in 08 with Continental. We, uh, Chris, we, uh, when Ed went to DC, that was quite a change and, and a lot of his career, I know from personal involvement when I was still in the Guard, were, was influenced by that time there. And, and uh, I know Ed learned a lot and, and you're probably shorting that part of your career on the on the importance but you did a lot uh while working in washington dc at the guard bureau yeah uh, what other what sort of programs what did well i actually uh i went out there with uh, uh just to have a paycheck i needed a job but uh, i went out there on some uh, special uh, socom orders to work on a small program uh, the rc26 socom is southcom for our listeners special our... ops oh special ops i thought it was southcom you were no, socom oh, okay not south southcom is southcom socom is special okay. ops command so it we, i did the some socom or <laughs> now you got me confused socom orders uh and i was the i was the guy in washington dc uh attempting to keep all the resources going to a small fleet of aircraft in the guard uh, called the RC-26, and its mission was to uh, be a manned uh, surveillance platform, uh, and originally it was set up to do counter-drug operations in the United States, so we'd have 
uh, guardsmen that flew RC-26, and they'd uh, spend their time doing surveillance on uh, drug networks and uh, networks of, uh, you know, trying to take down a network of drug dealers and drug manufacturers and suppliers. And uh, so that was a pretty cool mission uh, prior to the to 03. And they were very successful. They, uh, that mission uh, directory li liaison with the counter drug folks on the ground and local law enforcement and FBI proved to be a very potent mix of, of uh, per, you know, potent mix of team there. And they, they were pretty successful at taking down drug networks. Well, that translated almost perfectly into taking terrorist networks down. Oh, yeah. And so uh, the Guard deployed the RC-26s to the, to the theater of operations over in the Iraq and Afghanistan, and we were pretty successful at uh, doing the same thing they were doing here with drug networks, but they did it with terrorist networks in, uh, in that area. So so that was interesting. It was right out of the gate, something brand new. Uh, and then I moved on to uh, programs like the C-130. I got a chance to be the program manager, really, for the C-130 program for the Air National Guard. So, you know, a couple hundred planes and all, all this. So it was, it was a neat... Yeah. Neat experience to learn it from the other side of the coin, not just an operator, but also uh, managing the program. So, But you had some time off from when you first got out of the Guard and the airline. So you were off for how long between going back? Uh, so I, I applied in fall of 07 for Continental, got hired pretty quickly in January, uh, and I went on SOCOM orders probably in June of 08. So it was really quick. Oh, it was pretty quick, okay. Pretty quick, yeah. yeah. Didn't have a lot of time. I think maybe uh, Continental, uh, maybe 40, 50 hours in a 737 on the line before I got given the gate. Wow. <laughs> so not a lot of flying. But you got your foot in the door. Got my yeah. foot in the door, as we all know, that's important with the That airlines. is interesting. Uh, yeah. And eventually, uh, you worked your way back to St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what has happened in your career since, uh, say, 2012 or whatever, when you came right. back? Right. Uh, well, I had the opportunity to take command of uh, a unit at St. Joseph at the 139th called the Advanced Airlift Tactics Training Center. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, because I've had almost every job on base, that's one of the best jobs on base is being yeah. the commander of that uh, unit. Uh, they get to train uh, 18 allied nations, Marines, uh, Air Force, of all components, guard reserve and active duty, uh, just in a really kind of a little known unit uh, in an unassuming guard base in St. Joseph, Missouri that uh, does some pretty high speed tactical training for the mobility air forces of the world. So uh, we'll see C-17s on the ramp, uh, G-222s from, from uh, Europe, we had C-160s, which is the German Transall, which is kind of this, their equivalent to C-130. Uh, and then all the C-130 variants around the world, uh, uh, our partners around the world come in. And, and what our unit does there is train them how to survive and operate uh, in a wartime environment. You know, bottom line, don't get shot down. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think we've been pretty successful. There's, uh, you know, probably about five, six hundred students a year that go through there in various courses and at the end of the day we're left with a, uh, uh, in my opinion, a much more tactically sound mobility air force uh, that can survive and operate uh, in the world. And it's a, you know, pretty dangerous world out there when you consider uh, shoulder launch missile capability, uh, 
you know, from the from the small operator in a field all the way up to peer on peer fight with you know uh, like a Russia or a China. I mean, the, some of the systems that we're going up against are pretty impressive. So uh, so far, we're doing good. They all have a way to potentially shoot down a C one thirty. But uh, we've been pretty and successful. And right, and that's the thing. Ever. We've avoided it. Yeah, I, I, I learned something. I didn't realize that you did other uh, airframes besides the C-130. So that, yeah, yeah, I was up in St. Joe a couple weeks ago having breakfast, and there were a couple C-17s sitting out there. Yeah, the they're going through our course. So they're going through the course, huh? Yep. Okay. Our instructors will uh, – so it's really kind of an entrepreneurial course because uh, the other commands that want to send their folks through, they spend their own resources, their own – Flying, you know, we call it in the Air Force or flying our program. So they'll they'll spend all of their own resources to send their crews to us and their fully trained tactical crews. And then we, since it's a big cargo plane, we could put our instructors on the in the cockpit with them and take them through the paces. And uh, you know, not just guard or reserve. We're talking active duty as well. Oh. Active duty, guard, reserve. The Marine okay. Corps sends. Uh, you know, three or four year, the C-17s you saw, we've had Australian C-17s on the ramp. Uh, wow. uh, all the European countries come over with their uh, tactical airlift planes and fly with us. So the Japanese, yeah, the Israelis, I mean, it's Japanese, crazy how. Israelis, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I have no idea. So if you're flying around St. Joe, Missouri, you may be in the pattern with, uh, you know, that plane may not be just a St. Joseph 139 airlift wing C-130. It could be a, any no. nation in the world, you know, allied nation in the world coming in or any component of the Air Force or Marine coming in. So, It is. It's fascinating. And, and, and I know, uh, you know, you became the operations group commander after that, and then you moved mm -hmm. to wing commander. And now as a wing commander, you oversee not only that, that school, but all the operations going on up there. And there's, right. there's so much that happens at that at that. Yeah small guard unit it's just people just have no idea and 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 yeah. add that falls to you as your responsibility tell us about your day-to-day -day life as wing commander at that unit well the way you put it todd sounds kind of daunting <laughs> i try not to think about all that shit but, um well you know it's a little city up there to support the operations so we have uh you know obviously a big maintenance group uh our mission support group supports the facilities, infrastructure, all the things that make it happen, our cops, our, uh, all that. We've got a medical group that help uh, everybody stay, you know, healthy and in compliance and get their flight physicals done, you know, for instance. And uh, so it really is a team sport is what I call it, uh, to, to have those uh, aircraft on the ramp and fly those aircraft and the way that we fly them and the, all the partners we bring in, it takes an incredible team to pull it all off. And... Uh, so that's what I'm in charge of, and um, you know, so it's a it's a it's a heck of a privilege to be able to, to talk about them, to be able to represent them, to have them in the, uh, you know, have them in my thoughts all the time. Uh, you know, I think it would, Todd, you'd probably echo this as a, as a local local guy uh, growing up around here, love of aviation. Uh, I certainly have been the recipient of the experience of the 139th airlift wing has changed my personal vector in life dramatically yeah. from what it might have been without a local guard unit available to me so i look at it as it's my job to keep a uh, viable guard unit so you know some kid hoeing beans we don't do that anymore spraying beans i guess <laughs> some some kid walking around in, uh, in a local town looks up sees a plane and has a dream of uh uh, service and uh, flying and has an opportunity here locally to do and, that. And they can do that. I, mean, I think that's important to 
they, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you would point out that uh, recruiting and retention is always yeah. a big deal. So, yeah. you know, if, if you're a listener to this podcast and, and or you have a, a friend or a son or a daughter or, right. or something like that, uh, yeah. opportunities abound there, don't they? We hire, would like to hire about 200 a year. Uh, so there's plenty of opportunity. And if you're not interested in the air crew side of it and uh, flying, which probably your, your listeners are, uh, but uh, like I said, we're a small city. There's all kinds of disciplines up there. Uh, I call it the best federally funded Votech in this region. So, <laughs> you know, you can, uh, you can join the Guard with, uh, with a pretty reasonable commitment, uh, learn a skill, uh, have college paid for. It's a full-ride scholarship right now to join our unit. Uh, and and learn a, a valuable skill that would help you out and be connected to great people like Todd Mitten. There you go. Well, that's that's just, just, well, you I'm just learn. You just you know. I'm you just a retiree. Can't I pay am, for that experience in life. I am just a retiree. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've told Todd this story before, but uh, you know, there's very few things in life I would do over. But if I had the opportunity to go guard or reserve, I yeah. would do it in a heartbeat. You know, but I was. I was sheltered. I was naive. I, I went through ROTC at KU. Mm-hmm. I show up at pilot training, and the first day we got these three guard guys. And yeah. They're telling us they're already going to such, and we're like, what? What do you, what do you yeah. mean? You're going to an F-4, you're already going to an F-16 or an F-15, the three of them. Yeah. Wow. And uh, like, who, why didn't they tell us about it? I knew nothing about it. You know, I grew up in this area. Of course, you know, St. Joe at that time, that was a long way away. Right. You know, Topeka was a long Right. So, There's uh, a great guard unit in Topeka right yeah. now. One ninety at their refueling wing's a phenomenal unit. So if you're, you know, same you're, type of opportunities. Yeah. If you're, you know, especially a kid, I'm always telling them, I'm like, look, look at the guard and the reserve. Get to know those guys because right. what a great way to go, mm-hmm. you know, and have that have that camaraderie that you know that you have, mm-hmm. uh, you have, you know, for for the for your whole career, unlike a active duty guy who's moving around every three years yeah you build right. friendships but you don't have those lifelong right uh relationships which yeah it's a blessing it really is it's been fun and, <laughs> and we do take advantage of it don't we <laughs> some more you know, than the others yeah <laughs> well uh, <laughs> you know but that, but the 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 real tie that's I mean, how you vectored that yeah, yeah i really want i want you to tell me about <laughs> geez flying <laughs> Flying, I mean, I know I know your real love up there at the end of the day. Uh, well, it may be. You can say it's the people, but you love flying that airplane and that C-130. What What are your thoughts? I mean, what's neat about the C-130, and we have a lot of general aviation, I think, uh, interested people on, on our who listen to our yeah. podcast. And, sure. And I think that uh, that airplane sometimes is flowing a lot like a general aviation BFR oh, airplane. It's Tell such us about a that. Golden age of flying aircraft, Todd. I mean, it's a you know you just assume these days that uh, there's a bunch of intervention with autopilots and automation and uh, a lot of the uh, technologies that we deal with day to day basis. There's more power in my iPhone than there is in that C130 right now, mm-hmm. which translates into still having that connection to a stick and rudder skills, still having that connection to the uh, use of the whole crew, the everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that old, uh, you know, I think it's a dying, a dying art to, to really command a crew and be able to do the tactical things we do with no automation and it's just human brain power and uh, commitment to the mission that makes it happen. I mean, we fly, 
you know, 300 feet off the ground. If you're around here, you see us come by occasionally, but, uh, you know, 300 feet off the ground is our standard tactical elevation. And we do it hand-flown, the whole, the whole yep. route. Uh, our airdrop mission, uh, we can put pretty much anything that'll fit in the back uh, within a couple of hundred feet uh, with the use of a navigator. You know, what, what aircraft has a navigator still on board, but the navigator's art form of doing airdrop and being able to put those loads where they need to. And uh, we've done that in Afghanistan and Iraq to great effect, save lives undoubtedly mm -hmm. uh, by resupplying uh, through the airdrop uh, stuff that we do. But all of that is such a, in my viewpoint, you're looking at round dials by, by and large, you're, you're sticking rudder in it, and you're doing some exciting work in an airplane that, uh, you know, I think would appeal to all of your general aviation crowd. It keeps me coming back. I think it's, uh, I mean, you know, and, and I appreciate the shout out to the navigators there, as, as uh, our listeners may, if they've listened Wizards to a number of our podcasts, I, that's yeah. what my career was in the in the military, and, and the interesting part is that you asked where was I going with that thought? I had a, I had a, just a fascinating thought, but the, but that you, uh, uh, you know, you, you get to do, you get to work as a crew and as a team. And, right. and it was very, it was always very, uh, uh, rewarding to do it, to do it well. Well, I think another aspect of it, Todd, is we're not just flying around the flagpole. This, this airlift mission that we do up there is a worldwide mission. So you get to take that stick and rudder kind of old school aviation skill set with a crew, and then you go travel the world and see see some pretty phenomenal things. I mean, you yeah. and I have seen South America, the Pacific, uh, certainly the Middle East, uh, Europe, uh, Canada. I mean, I'm just naming them off here, but yep. you fly an old school plane around the world, and there's a yeah, it's a bit of nostalgia in doing that, you know. I and challenge, really cool. yeah. And challenge, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what, and that's what I was thinking about. I was going to ask you about physically flying that airplane. Uh, to me, and I got a, like I got some stick time in it over the years, and and to me it was like flying a Baron or something. You know, Chris, yeah. it was like a. I mean, it was really just. It, it didn't feel didn't feel like a jet or anything because it wasn't a jet, but it it just it's just more like flying a big twin in a way, even though it's a four engine airplane. Mm -hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but uh, that's that's the way I. It was kind of easy, honestly, in terms of just a, uh, you know, just actually doing. I'm flying in generally good weather and that kind of thing. It's not easy in the sense when you throw in all the other challenges that come along. But, uh, but uh, these guys are good at it. So uh, I watched a lot of it, and and it was always uh, it was always rewarding. And you're right, the trips were the best part to me. That's what I miss the most about being the guard, along with hanging out with the guys. And gals, but the but the uh, but the actual uh, trips were were just always a highlight. You never had a bad trip. Right. Now you know, Ed. When you look around, that brings up a point. Uh, as as we know, in the C one thirty, the basic crew of, of five, and and you were getting ready to go on a trip, and you were excited because uh, you know you thought, man, this is all a great group that I'm going with. Yeah. But uh, but you always knew there was always one guy on the crew that was a screwball. So if you looked around and you thought, man, he's a good guy, and he's a good guy, and she's a good gal, and he's a good... Well, that leaves still one screwball. Who yeah, might it be? The, you're, the, you're the weak link. Yeah. I, I've been able to identify a weak link, and I certainly have been the weak link on uh, certain occasions. So... Oh, we got a lot of jokes. No <laughs> doubt about it. We have to number. So how, how much are you deploying though? What, what's the you know how, how long can somebody expect to be gone? 
Uh, well, it, there is some volunteerism aspect to it. I mean, uh, if you join the Guard, uh, you are under, uh, you know, orders to involuntary mobilize at the whim of the President and our nation. So you can be involuntary mobilized, and certainly Todd and I have been involuntarily mobilized. But at the pace that we're doing now in the Air Guard and in the Air Force, uh, nobody's been involuntarily mobilized that didn't want to go. I generally find I have more people that want to deploy than we have slots to deploy. So uh, that pace is about every other year. Uh, you'd have the opportunity to do, you know, a couple months up to six months. Uh, and so that, you know, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good pace. If you think of the guard uh, of old, it was one week in a month, two weeks a year uh, that you needed to commit. I would say being an air crew member at the guard now is like once a week commitment and about a third of the year job mm -hmm. uh, to stay up with everything that we do with a uh, you know, commitment every couple of years to, uh, to, de to have the possibility to deploy with our C-130s. Uh, so, you know, it just takes the, takes the right type of attitude, the right, uh, certainly an employer that can support that uh, outside employer, and most importantly, a family unit, uh, you know, a family culture, uh, you know, whatever that family may look like has to be able to support that. So it's a, it's a big commitment, but I, I think it's rewarding at the end of the day. It gives you, gives you a little meaning in life that you're doing something, you know, for your nation, for your state. Uh, I've walked away every time I've walked off the 130, felt like I got something done, you know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> are, you, are you still looking at primarily from in, inside the organization when you're looking at you know sending somebody to pilot training or no actually it's a actually we've uh, I just saw a pie graph they showed me a, a couple days ago about our recruiting efforts and the uh, specifically our pilots uh, but I think it's indicative across the rest of the recruiting that we do and about half of them are off the street really so half's off the street uh, Maybe 40% is uh, homegrown is what we'd call that, uh, you know, our enlisted force that's gotten a college degree like myself and uh, wanted to be a pilot and got hired from internal. And then we still bring, you know, maybe 10% off of an active duty commitment that are wanting to continue their service. So they'll come in off active duty and uh, sign up for the guard with some skill set. So. Do most people in the unit, do you find that they, they take it all the way to retirement? Our retention rate is probably 94%. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I guess that more than anything speaks for the 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 belief in in the guard, but specifically in that unit and the culture that's been developed over the years by the uh, and carried on by Ed as one commander, but the the culture is inclusive. It's uh, it's positive. People feel like they're making a difference, and and so I would you agree, Ed, that that's the yeah. You hear everybody say guard is family. Yeah. You know, and I think you know we've all we're all members of a family of some way, and uh, there's occasionally you spat with your family, but at the end of the day, it's your family. You know. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, I think the guard typifies that very well. Uh, the folks that uh, stick around find that you know I've been there 31 years, uh, Todd. I'm, you probably had. I did 30 years. 30 years. Retired, so, yeah. you know, in 30-year commitment with one unit, you're going to have some peaks and valleys. Uh, but at the end of the day, you've developed a, you know, decades-long family really around you. So that it's a, I think it's a unique, unique, unique opportunity in the world to have something you can say you were part of for 30 years. Yeah. And I, a lot of people do it. 94, I, 90, 94 percent. Really. Yeah. 94 percent. 
I, I, what, you have any idea what it is on active duty? What the retention rate is overall? It can't. It can't be half of that, can it? Well, they certainly don't stay thirty years. I mean, well, <laughs> twenty year retirement. So, I mean, we do a retention rate of who left this year. So that's a one year who stayed in who stayed in the unit year over year, and it's consistently in the nineties. I think wow. this year was ninety four. We don't count it if you re, you know retirements. Uh, you know, generally have t retirements every year, so that's how can we recruit. We have some people that transfer to other guard units or uh, other, you know, other military organizations. But the strictly, I'm done. I'm out of here. We 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 keep 94 percent of them. So wow, it's pretty pretty crazy. Well, I'm curious about kind of the work life balance thing with you. I mean, you're you're a senior leader. Yeah. And you know, you're you're in charge of how many personnel? Uh, about 1,200 total folks that uh, work at the base. So 1,200 folks at the base. All the all the uh, equipment and everything else you've got going on up there. Yep. And and then on top of it, uh, you're an airline pilot. Right. Uh, family. Mm -hmm. So uh, three kids. Know, how, yeah, three kids. So that's that's a lot. I mean, how do you how do you balance all that? And how much time are you spending? Uh, let's let's say, let's talk pre-COVID because it's right. a little weird this year. Right. But you know how much time do you are you spending there at the unit, or what percentage of your time is there at the unit working on stuff? Because you're probably, if you're like all the guys I fly with, you're on a trip and you're in your room, you're, you're doing guard stuff. You're, you're, probably, <laughs> you're probably taking care of a lot of Well, stuff. I, you know, wing commander's probably a, a, I think wing commander's a lifestyle more than a job, you know. Uh, so I think my, my experience is probably a little different than the normal guard uh, experience, but I, I think you do have a triad of commitment there, family, guard, uh, civilian career, and, uh, you know, balancing those things. I mean, it's a longstanding uh, folklore up there, passed down from generation to generation, that if you've got any one of those three really, really happy with you, you're ignoring the other two. Yeah. And, you know, so I think there's a, you kind of ebb and flow through your career and your family and your, and your civilian career. And at times you got to put some commitment to one, and then you you got to back off and modulate to another. So, I think the balance is more dynamic than it is static. So you're you're constantly monitoring. Hey, uh, and you're making choices like, can I go fly the night line and get some uh, night vision goggle landings and get off the bad boy list and be current, or do I go see the kids' soccer game? And that's a it's a daily choice of balance rather than a Here's, here's my formulation, right. you know. So uh, I think it's absolutely doable. I was flying, uh, you know, admittedly I was dropping some military leave, if you will, from on United and fly, probably flying a half a line at United. But that was my choice because I wanted to be involved as a, a leader at the base. And probably for a period of time there, it took a toll on family. So, uh, you know, we've modulated back now with COVID. I'm not flying United very much, uh, at home a lot more. Mm -hmm. So family's taking uh, primacy now, and uh, uh, but I, I think it's <clears throat> everybody going through a guard career has to decide how to modulate that for their own circumstances, and I think the guard's pretty friendly about that. So like if you called up to the guard and said, "Hey, I've got a graduation to go to, or I've got something I got to be at," at least at the 139th, we're pretty for because we have a long-term 94% retention rate. If we weren't friendly with folks. When it right. came to making the important things in life with their family, we wouldn't be able to retain folks. So uh, that's the metric I use that we're still doing pretty good at, at people being able to find a balance in their career and 
uh, their you know civilian career and their career at the guard. Yeah, yeah, that's well put. I think that's very well, well put. It's a it's a challenge without a doubt every day. Yes, every day something new. I'll tell you though, one thing the guard does provide is, uh, at least for me and I know for Todd, uh, was a backstop of uh, stability. If you're going to be in the aviation industry. Uh, we yes. all felt this, you know, it's a bit of a seasonal career, <laughs> I guess is the way you put it. Yeah. It's that a is. bit of a seasonal career, and the Guard provides a backstop of stability uh, that just can't be beat. Uh, and typically it's on the opposite season of a commercial aviation. So as commercial aviation is dropping down, uh, times of after 9-11, obviously, and uh, times of war, and uh, commercial aviation drops off, the Guard picks up. So it's a nice compliment, uh, at least for our pilots uh, and our crew members, to have that uh, opposite balancing uh, stability in their lives. So it's a, it's a long-term employment insurance is what I call it. It really is. It, it really is. I said, I probably said to you, Chris, I thank God for Mother Guard. It, uh, right. I, was, I always maintained a job, and I knew a lot of people in my airline career, uh, the way circumstances went, that uh, were able to or were unable to maintain employment they're taking jobs uh flying you know in the in the far east or something instead right. or away from their families or or just losing their houses and stuff when we were all furloughed and so you know i never had to deal with that at all i i maintained employment and and was well mm. you know and and doing a worthwhile job too so it was it was beneficial all around yeah uh, you know i i want to ask you a little bit uh kind of pivoting away from the guard we'll just talk a little about your general aviation what what have you done any general aviation flying in recent times a little bit or any or yeah i've got uh i've got some friends that uh run the little airport i live in atchison kansas and uh the amelia Earhart memorial airport out there just redid part of that didn't he uh, working on it we're yeah. working hard uh the city of atchison uh you know, Are you really, on the board, airport board or something? I, like am that? The I was thinking that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. They would question whether I am because they show up to a lot of meetings. <laughs> you know, balance as we talked about. But uh, but I am, and uh, I've been really proud of uh, Atchison for investing in the airport. There, uh, we've cleaned it up and it looks real nice. And there's there's plans. You know, I think appropriate plans to expand that. But uh, so my my re most recent general aviation experience is they got a nice little Cherokee 140 up there that I can take my kids up in. And, nice. Uh, just a, a rental airplane that I can get in the air. Yeah. How old are your kids? So I've got a college kid, a high school kid, and a middle school kid. Wow. So yeah, got it covered. <laughs> you know, we've we've talked a little about uh, well, talking about general aviation and the airport at St. Joseph. That's a fascinating place. You know, you've been in there a lot, Chris. That is the greatest mix of, of traffic, mm. you know, the C-130s and the general aviation airplanes, whether it be corporate jets or, or uh, just guys out on their first solo or something right. like that. It's right. a real, uh, and the, how about the control tower up there? That's something worth mentioning. Tell us about the control tower at St. Joseph. Yeah, so our, our, the 139th Airlift Wing is a tenant of the city's airport. So the city of St. Joseph owns Rosecrans Memorial Airport, and they own the tower building. But all of the controllers and all the radar controllers and all the airspace is controlled by the guard. So it's a it's a uh, contract with the FAA, and all of our folks are really, uh, when I say our folks, the, the military controllers are who does the controlling out there. And it makes it a really cool training environment for us because we've, we can do airdrop on the far side of the field, 
the little short 1331. Well, it's short for us, but it's a really nice runway mm-hmm. for general aviation to have a cross runway like that. But that's where we practice our short field landings and short field takeoffs. And if you see some markings on the runway that look a little strange, those are our landing zones that we're trying to hit when we're, we're practicing our short field takeoff and landings. And we actually, you know, the city's just been an amazing partner. When we do night vision goggle ops, you may see us notumed off, uh, notumed uh, that we're doing some night vision goggle ops. And we turn every air, every light off on the airfield and continue to operate. So we'll, we'll land with lights out and our towers open and, and running. And if you need to come in, we'll let you in and flip the lights back on to let a general aviation come in. Uh, but that partnership with the city of St. Joseph and their facility and the airspace connectivity, uh, absolutely vital to the efficiency of our operation. And if you're a general aviation uh, flying in and around there, I'd encourage you to take advantage of uh, the PAR approach, the precision radar approach that our military controllers would be uh, very happy to give you a PAR because it's part of their training right. requirement. You just go up there and do it with a 38 all the time. 38, but uh, you know you can bring your Cessna 150 and do a PAR <laughs> yeah. at the St. Joe, and they'll they'll treat you right. And uh, probably, I defy you to find another place in the nation where you can get a military precision approach uh, radar uh, approach uh, precision approach into a, a runway uh, that accessible to general aviation. You know, it's just a really cool thing to have out there. It is, and that's that's why I want to talk about the the airport. It's just there's so, it's just it's a fun place. It, there's a lot to see. You go up there. There's an airport restaurant. Yeah, you go watch. Well, you never know what. To, if, uh, if I could put a suggestion in, come on a Wednesday for lunch. On a Wednesday. Wednesday for lunch, they have fried chicken. Ah, there really? you go. It's the only time you get fried chicken at the Tower Restaurant. But if you if you want to keep, come see, have a meeting with uh, Colonel Ed Black at the one. <laughs> uh, I I tend to lean towards a lunch. Go, so yeah, we we'll have to go up we'll, there. We got a company that yeah, lunch plan. Yeah, lunch exactly plans right. on Wednesdays when you'll when you'll get the invite. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, what's on your horizon, Ed? I mean, you know, you're you're potentially nearing. I don't know what you're going to do with your military career. Maybe you'll move on. Maybe you decide it's time to retire. But um, mm-hmm. even without necessarily, you can get into that if you want. You don't have to. But but what's on your horizon right. over the next few years, you know? Well, I think like all of us, uh, my horizon's kind of decreased from, you know, years to a couple weeks. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I was out just uh, texting my wife and a, a soccer game tonight for my son was postponed because of some COVID concerns. And so I think all of us have kind of decreased our time horizon uh, dramatically over the last six, six or seven months. Uh, you know, but for me, I... I, uh, so that's kind of helped me in a certain sense. Uh, I have a couple weeks time horizon and I concentrate on what's good for the 139th and uh, my, my United career is still there, although it's, you know, it's decreased uh, pretty, pretty dramatically. Uh, so I honestly don't know. And, you know, wing commanders, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're one uh, major aircraft accident away from uh, losing your job. You're one, uh, you know, uh, your one decision from a general officer from uh, finding a new new home. So I, I kind of look at it as it's a privilege every day to come in and do what I do and uh, represent the 139th. So I honestly don't know what's in the future for Ed Black. I, I think, you know, uh, if it ended today, I'd be a, I'd be a happy man. I'll just mm-hmm. put it that way. If I ended today, it would be a uh, it'd be a great career and something I could look back on and say, man, this is really this has been a privilege. Yeah, I 
I understand that because that's the way I felt. You know, at the end of the day, uh, it was well worth it. So You know what you ought to do for one of your podcasts, Todd? Is you ought to read your final speech that you gave when you retired. One of the best speeches I've heard from a retiree talking about aviation and his love of the aircraft and what he was going to miss about the 139th. And it was all about <laughs> the flying of the C-130 aircraft and the crew and everything. Yeah. It's just really well, phenomenal uh, speech, Todd. It, it meant a lot to me. So, you know, I try to convey that idea. I've told people, I never thought you should go out. I was frustrated when people retired from a unit 30 years, 25, 35 years, right. whatever it may be. And, well, I, I, thanks, everybody. And i like, you got to have more than that. I want. I would love serving with you. Tell me more, you know. So I said, I'm not going to do it that way. That might be a surprise to you, Chris, that I had a lot to say one day. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Chris doesn't think I talk enough. Right, right, right. <laughs> you got anything else for, for Ed? Any other? No, I, I'm just really thankful you came down here. Thanks. Uh, you know, and it, it, to me, you know, even as a military guy, I'm still kind of on the outside looking in to, you know, the guard. And uh, like I said, if there was one thing I could ever do over, because I, I don't think I've ever talked to a guard guy that hasn't just absolutely loved what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and moreover, uh, they're, just, they're, they're just highly qualified, highly capable people that uh, are, they just seem more than, more than not, far more than not, to have a real servant's heart for what they're doing. You know? mm-hmm. So they're just grateful to be where they are, and they, right. they exude that. Um, didn't see so much of that on active duty, some mm-hmm. of it, but, not, but not, nowhere near it. You know? And I, I'm just taking a small percentage of the folks that I've ever talked to. Sure. So uh, no, I'm I'm just really grateful you're here. So thanks, and I'm, I got to get in my logbook now. See if we ever flew together. <laughs> you, hook. Yeah, hook. If you, if you hook me. I'm still coming back down here and chat. <laughs> quibble, I believe they call it. You're going to quibble over there. Quibble over there, Greg. Eighty-eight ride. We may have to have a chat about. But uh, uh, and thanks for the opportunity. I, uh, Todd's promised me lunch, which was most of my motivation. But, yeah. uh, really, uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Todd. Always a pleasure. Well, Thanks. this is why Good we, I think, Chris, you when you wanted to start the, the, I had the idea of having a podcast. I think this is exactly the kind of stuff we, we want to talk about. We're you in want to be the Joe Rogan. Yeah. Of yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I could yeah. give him a few tips, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we, uh, we do. Uh, want to we're in the aircraft sales business but that's uh that's just part of what we really do so uh anyway if you do have interest uh uh check us out flywildblue.com or give us a call if you have questions even even about the, the military i mean i can at least direct you to some people so uh call us at 888-773-4249 and again thank you ed black thank chris you. thank you we'll talk to you guys uh, in a couple weeks Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.